having some legitimate uh, technical difficulties today, so we'll hope that it, it stays and it goes and it does all that good stuff. Um, both. You never know. Both happen. It doesn't show. It doesn't show. It's not the end of the world. But hopefully it will, because I think it will be very helpful tonight. As we talk about the faith of our fathers and their holy faith, you know, this is Memorial Day weekend. And we, we're supposed to remember something. I'm not 100% sure what we're supposed to remember, except for people that have fought and have died for us, right? Well, we remember someone who fought and died for us every single week, so that's not that unusual. But tonight I want us to think about our fathers in the faith. Those who followed in the steps of our Lord, who died for us, that died for Him, or who went through a lot of difficulties for Him. So that we remember what our ancestors have done. Because we should never forget what they have done for the sake of Christ. So as Tom said in verse 2, we might be like them. You go there to Hebrews, the 11th chapter, and the passage that Kenny read for us there is a passage in which a lot of terrible things happen to these Christians. And the people that he mentions in Hebrews chapter 11, they weren't even Christians. They were long before Christ ever came. And terrible things happened to them. They were sawn in two. They were put in dungeons and all of these different types of things. And I don't know anyone personally that has ever been sawn in two. I don't know anyone personally who has ever been imprisoned for the sake of the gospel. But it happened. With our families and Christ and all these different things. And so as you think back to Scripture, I want to think about martyrs for a second. We were talking yesterday about how you're not going to get to be a martyr for this. Someone wasn't going to get credit for something that they should have already done or should be doing. You don't get to take the martyr for that. You die for a cause. You die for something. When you think about martyrs in Scripture, for Jesus, for the sake of Jesus, I wonder how many of them you can think of. We normally think of the very first one, right? Stephen who was stoned to death in Acts chapter 7 for saying things against the temple and saying things against the law of Moses and that this Christ had come. And so they gnashed their teeth at him, they ran at him, they dragged him out of the city, and they stoned him. And that's the very first one. And you know, like once you get first blood of something, it doesn't take long to keep that going, right? Because chapter 8, verse 1 says that Saul went about to all these different areas causing havoc on the church. And the church spread throughout, right? And they went throughout preaching the gospel in all these different places where they were scattered in verse 4. And Jerusalem seems to be the place where the worst persecution was still happening. We know that in Acts chapter 9, Paul, Saul at the time, right? He was willing to go as far as Damascus to go and drag people back to Jerusalem to imprison them 
and put them to death. There were great, great extents being had. So we think about Stephen. But we turn our attention to the apostles. And the very first apostle that is killed is the brother of James, John, in Acts the 12th chapter, when Herod beheads him right around the time of the Passover, and he sees how much the people like that, and so he gets Peter and tries to do the same thing to Peter, but you remember Peter is freed in the evening by a miracle. He is led out by the angel to the house where the church is gathered and they have been praying for Peter. Again, taste the blood. The very first one down, well, we got 11 more to go. We got to get rid of these apostles and so they did over time. But it wasn't just to like Stephen, who was in Acts 7, who was one of the special ones who had miraculous gifts, who was full of the Holy Spirit, who was teaching and all those things. It was other Christians as well. And you learn of someone that maybe you didn't think of. Go with me to Revelation, the second chapter. As Jesus is speaking to the seven churches of Asia, as He is addressing the church in Pergamum, He says in verse 13 there, he says, I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, yet you hold fast my name, and you did not deny my faith even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. Antipas, this guy Antipas, we don't know a ton about him. Antipas is mentioned by name as being killed as being a faithful witness of Jesus. And even in the midst of that, the rest of the church didn't deny their faith. They kept their faith bold and they kept their faith strong. And Pergamum is one of two churches that nothing bad is said about. It. It's a good thing to be happy. It's a good thing. And so you have all of these different things that have happened in Scripture, but we don't have a lot about people who died on behalf of Christ in Scripture. But we have a lot of information about what happened to the apostles in history. And so there's this book that I have. It's called Fox's Book of Martyrs. And you can see it is not a small book by some book standards. And it goes through a lot of the persecutions that the church went through through a lot of years. And the book begins opening up by basically just a list of people that were killed and how they were killed. And I kind of want to go rapid fire for just a minute on the apostles as we think about what we learn in history about the fate of the apostles. We know their job, right? Their job was to go preach and be witnesses of Jesus in Jerusalem, Judea, and to the uttermost parts of the world, Acts chapter 1, verse 8 says. And we know that many of them died on behalf of Christ, but I think sometimes it is helpful for us to remember how they died. That they were not slow, or I should say fast, easy deaths, but they were very difficult. So we begin with Philip. 
Philip seems to be maybe the second apostle that was killed. We don't have a ton said about Philip in the Gospels, but what we do have is Philip asking Jesus, Lord, where are you going? How do we get there? And so Philip, he was scourged, he was imprisoned, and he was crucified in the year eighty fifty four. Pretty common. Sounds kind of similar to Christ. And during that time, apparently in that city, in that particular city, uh, that's a Mesopotamian city, that was pretty common. They made things very similar to the death of Christ, and so they would put crowns on their heads, they would put reeds in their hand, and they would make it look like Jesus was being killed again. That's Philip. Then you have Matthew, the tax collector, but who was a Levite. And he was slain with a halberd. You say, what in the world is a halberd? Because that is what I said. It is a battle axe with a spear on the end of it. So he was chopped in pieces. That's not a painless way to die in the year 60 in this city of Nabada. You have James the Less, and he's just called that because he is not James the brother of John in that circle of Jesus. And so at age 94, he was beaten and he was stoned by the Jews. 94 years old. Like, don't you have any decency for elderly? But no, they beat and they stoned a 94-year-old man. Then they bashed out his brains with a fuller's glove. 94 years old. Then you have Matthew, or Matthias, who was that apostle that was added after Jesus was resurrected. And you would see that they just stoned him there in Jerusalem by his own people. And then they chopped off his head. Adding insult to injury. On and on and on. And you got Andrew, the one from Bethsaida. And they crucified him in the city of Edessa where they killed many other Christians as well. And the reason why you have an X up there is because they crucified him a little differently. Instead of being on like a normal tree, they put it where two logs were in the ground and where it made an X. And so it would be where you had your legs spread and your arms spread wide. And so... You Google what they call this cross nowadays, and it is used for something for bondage. It was a miserable way because it appears as though there was beatings and things that went along with this. Andrew was crucified in that way. You have the Apostle Mark, who was dragged to pieces in the city of Alexandria. I don't really know how that works, but I know one of the ways in which they dragged people to pieces was they attached limbs to horses with ropes and they sent the horses in different directions. I don't know if that's the case here. We don't know exactly for sure. Man, that would be a miserable way to die. Then we have Peter, one of the ones that maybe we know the most about how he died just because we talk about it a little more. And that the city of Rome, he learns that his fate is to be killed, and so he's kind of resigned to that. And so 
they crucify him, but he requests and says, I'm not worthy to be crucified the same way as my Lord. So I think out of a, a joke or whatever, they flip him upside down and they crucify him upside down. He's inverted on his cross. You just see it over and over and over. And we learn from Jerome that he was, as we said, inverted. Jerome would be one of the, the teachers in, after the first century there. And we have Paul, the apostle we think about. And we know that he was shipwrecked. We know that he was beaten, left for dead. We know that he was stoned. We know all of that about him. But what eventually killed him was they ran him through with a sword. I finally got him. Blood, guts, and it said the blood went everywhere with Paul. And then you've got Jude who wrote the letter of Jude there at the end of the book. He was also crucified at Edessa, the same place in which Mark was crucified, except for several years later in the year 72. You've got Bartholomew who was cruelly beaten, and then he was crucified very much like Jesus as well. And then Thomas. Thomas died very similar to Paul, except for instead of a sword, it was a spear. Hand to hand. And then Luke, the author of the book of Acts, it is supposed that he was hanged on an olive tree. It's not stop. That's what people went through on behalf of Christ. And Simon, finally, he was crucified. I wonder how many of them were thinking about, unless you take up your cross daily and follow me, you're not worthy to be my disciples. How many of them they were thinking of that as they were being killed? I'll gladly take my cross. Most of these we see they don't fight it. They don't resign to it. In fact, they embrace it. To the point, as you would see throughout, that Christians with such strong faith, they had such an impact on the people that were crucifying them. Just as our Lord did, right? It's just different. You're not kicking. You're not screaming because you are dying for a cause. And there is a great honor in dying for a cause. But there's no greater honor than dying because you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and you're willing to stake your whole life on that. That your life is not worthy to be held on to. Your life is not worthy to be gained because you know that if you're going to gain your life, you must lose your life. And these apostles went through that with the exception of one. The only apostle that we learned that was not killed was the Apostle John. But what does Scripture tell us in Revelation 1? He was exiled. He was put out in the Isle of Patmos. Basically, again, somewhat left for dead. But you know what happened to him before they sent him off to the island? I'm not sure that I knew this before I read the book. They put him in a cauldron of hot burning oil. I'm 
telling you, I think I would rather die. But after that is when we get the revelation of Jesus Christ. About how the church triumphs. Yes, it seems as though there will be all of this defeat for the Lord's people. But that is not the case. Look with me at Revelation chapter 17. Revelation chapter 17 and verse 14. You see that this great beast, they will make war on the Lamb. And the Lamb will conquer them. Jesus will conquer them for He is the Lord of lords and He is the King of kings. And those who are with Him are called chosen and faithful. You see, they're going to war against the Lamb, but the Lamb's going to win. Jesus is going to win. And it is going to appear that they are going to win. And you would have that picture in the sixth chapter of those souls under the altar that have been slain on behalf of God, crying out, O oh Lord, how long, holy and true. Or, O oh Lord, holy and true, how long until you bring justice to us. People were dying left and right, mercilessly. They were being handed later on as beasts, or to beasts for food. And so they would put them on top of a pole or on top of a stake, and they would let the animals in to eat their feet and their limbs. As just a way of just sheer torture. And then others, they just threw them in the cage with them. And they cheered in the stands. And they watched it all with joy and glee. As people were being killed for the sake of the Christ. What kind of faith does that take? I'm telling you, that is a faith that I don't understand. That is a faith that I don't know I have the same. I would like to think that I do. I would like to think that I'm like Peter and I would say, Lord, I'll go with you even to death. I'm willing to die for you. And he was. But not when he thought he was. Because when the little old servant girl... Don't you belong to Christ? Don't you belong to Jesus and Nazareth? You're one of them. I don't know them. I think there's a real question of my faith. And the thing was, man, it would be nice if it had stopped with the apostles. If only 12, 13 people, as we said... Thousands of people were killed. And so some of the others that we see, we see in Scripture, we learn about Timothy, right? And we think about Timothy being a young man, but what we find out is that later on, so there's this big idolatrous feast, and he's standing in the way, and he's saying, what you're doing is wrong. And they say, okay, let me beat you. And they left him for dead, and two days later he's dead. All because says, what you're doing is wrong. It's not a real God. It's not a real idol. And you have somebody like Polycarp, a guy that, that we was a teacher in the first century, 
not an apostle, but he was an elder, and they burned him at the stake. Just miserable. Just it's it's just torture is all it is. It's not justice. It's torture. All for this. And then the last one that I want to point out is this family of this woman. I don't know how you say her name, but I'm going to say her Felicitasis or something like that. I call her Felicia for short. She had seven sons. She and her seven sons were all martyred, and here's how it went. The oldest son, he was pressed to death by weights. So they crushed him. Second and third son, they bashed, they bashed their brains out with clubs. Three, four, five, or four, five, six, or four, excuse me, they took him to the top of a building and they threw him down. Five, six, seven, they killed him with the sword. And then they turned on her with the very same sword after seeing all seven. understood all of that. Go to John with, go with me to the Gospel of John. Go to the very last chapter. John chapter 21. And I want us to think about what Jesus says in John 21. We already saw our exception to the rule that John is the exception. And we see in verse 15 that uncomfortable conversation that Jesus has with Simon. Simon. Do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Feed my lamb. Simon, the second time, do you love me? Lord, you know I love you. And my sheep. A third time, Simon of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? I love how John throws that in there. The first two times, Peter is okay with it. The third time, it's too much for Peter. John saw this. And John, he says, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Why do you keep asking me this is what I picture. And Jesus says, when feed my sheep. Truly I say to you, when you're young, you used to dress yourself. And you walk wherever you want it. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. And this he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. See, Peter had been told years ahead, your death is going to bring glory to God. But it is not going to be a choice. They're going to drag you. 
They're going to dress you. They're going to do whatever they want to do to you. But in your death, God will get the glory. And isn't that really what we're pointing to? When we think about what these people were willing to go through, we think about why would someone go through something so horrendous and so ter- so terrible? Because someone is so great. And someone had already gone through it for them. He said he went through it. He believed. He showed us how to do it. And so therefore, you know what? I can do the same. God will take care of me. He took care of him. He'll take care of me. That's what he says all along. But in the moment, that's probably not necessarily my first thought. Although if someone comes in, they got their gun, right? We've all seen this scenario been painted out before. We've seen it probably even happen in real life, or at least heard of it happen in real life. Are you a Christian? And you don't know what's going on with that particular question, but if there's a gun to your head, right, most people might say yes. Yeah. I shouldn't say most people. I, I would think more people than not would say yes. I think there would be a lot that would cave as well. I wonder about myself. What what would you do? Someone walks right in this door right here. I hope I have faith like my father. I hope I've got so much faith in the afterlife and so much faith in Jesus that if it means they're going to take me outside, they're going to hang me by that tree, they're going to chop me to pieces, they're going to do whatever they're going to do, I'm going to hang in there. And I will not deny my master who bought me. But others, they didn't quite have that faith. What we see them doing is they did, in fact, blaspheme the name. If you blaspheme Jesus, you can live. You got it. That Jesus, he is... You go on, you go down the list, whatever you want to say he is. That's not us. That's not what God has called us to be. What God has called us to be is 2 Timothy chapter 3. And many of you know this is one of my favorite scriptures. And when you go back and you think about Timothy as he got beaten as we've seen, think about what Timothy saw as such a young man as he got into teaching the gospel and he began to follow Paul. His first time following Paul, we see recorded in Acts uh, around chapter 14. And Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, verse 10, You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings, that happened at Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Timothy, you have followed me in every respect of my life. And here's what you need to know at the end of verse 11. Yet from all of them, 
single time that it looked like they were going to kill me, the Lord rescued me. You saw how badly I was beaten, stoned, and left for dead in Lystra. But the Lord, He rescued me. So verse 12, Indeed, Timothy, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be Point blank. It's the next verse that we rarely read, at least I rarely read. Some will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you've learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, how from childhood you were acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation. Here it is. Through faith in Christ. Timothy, hold on to your faith. You were taught it young. You've seen me hold on to it. You've seen the Lord come through. Don't give up your faith. In fact, what did he tell him in chapter 1 and verse 6? For this reason, fan into flame the gift of God. Don't be afraid. Fan this thing into flame. And so you know what happened to me. So he tells him in chapter 4, as we already know, verse 6, I'm already ready to be poured out as a drink offering. The time of my departure is at hand. And he made sure that he tells him one more time. Verse 16, even when everyone else deserted him, he says, verse 17, the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth and the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heaven. It's always the Lord has and the Lord will rescue whether by life or by death. And that's what our fathers went through. They had to put it to the test. And if I've got to put it to the test, what am I going to do? Because as Tom pointed out, verse 2, when we sing how sweet would be their children's faith. That's our faith. If they, the children, like them, the fathers, could die for them. I don't know that I can say that with really strong confidence. That would be really sweet to die for Jesus. Or they wouldn't use it that way how good it tastes to die for Jesus. That's what we're seeing in verse 2. Is man, wouldn't it be great if I could die for him? You say, why would you want to do that? Because he died for me. It is the least that I can do to show my love for him because no greater love has anyone than this 
stand to lay down his life for a friend. I wish I had the opportunity to prove to Jesus just how much I appreciate what he did for me. And if the moment ever came for me to be able to do that, I would do it willingly and do it as many times as necessary because, man, who am I without? I have nothing without. And so may we have that type of faith that, man, give me a chance to die for you, and I will. I have something to think about. Can I pray that? <laughs> because we sing it. How sweet that would be, I don't know. But it sure is the right attitude as we remember our fathers in the faith. They counted it joy, and they left joyfully after they received their beatings. After they walked out, just as Jesus said in those beatitudes in Matthew 5, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And their reward is in heaven. May we have faith like our fathers and our Lord Jesus Christ. Subject in any way this evening and you need the prayers of the congregation or you're ready to submit your life to Christ, won't you come now and do that as we stand and as we sing?